Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer. And today on the podcast, we're going to talk about wealth inequality and how to start to fix it. Two candidates in the Democratic primary, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, are proposing wealth taxes on the uber wealthy. I think people worth about $32 million at least. Today, we're going to talk with Emmanuel Saez. He's one of two UC Berkeley economists whose research has inspired the wealth taxes that Warren and Sanders are proposing. But wait a minute, aren't the rich really good at hiding, I mean, sheltering their wealth? Saez explains what he'd do about that and talks more about the book he wrote with Gabriel Zuckman, another economist, called The Triumph of Injustice, How the Rich Dodge Taxes and How to Make Them Pay. Here's my conversation with Saez in his office on the campus of the University of California, Berkeley. I can see the Golden Gate Bridge from here. It's a beautiful view. It's where you think deep uh, economic thoughts. Um, you and your and your partner, uh, Gabriel Zuckman, are, are, uh, are economists. Not only just any economist, but your work is really at the heart of what's being discussed in the Democratic presidential primary campaign right now. Uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, Senator Elizabeth Warren regularly cite your work, and they have built their wealth, plan, wealth tax plans based on your research. And it, now, but to be clear, you are not affiliated with any campaigns, correct? Correct. We are academics. We do economic research on inequality and taxes, and we're very happy that it's discussed in the policy debate. And we're also happy to advise candidates whenever they want to ask us questions about how to set a wealth tax, how much revenue it would bring in. And so we talk to uh, several campaigns, and particularly the, the Warren and Sanders campaigns. So, and, and who else has reached out to you? We've also talked to uh, Mayor de Blasio when he was when candidate. He was together, yes. <laughs> Tom Steyer has oh. reached out, and uh, we have a colleague here who uh, advises Mayor Pete, and okay. therefore, indirectly, we've also uh, reached out to, to this campaign. Okay, and those are the only campaigns you've been Yes. With. Okay, great. So let's explain it in, uh, in simple terms what you're saying in your book. Because typically in this country, we, we think that we, measure, we create our tax system and we measure based on income. And the conventional wisdom here in the U.S. is that our tax system is progressive. That's what we think it is, that the more you make, the more you pay in taxes. But you, you guys say that that sort of paints an unrealistic view of economic disparity in this country. Yes. So, so what we're saying is that this paints uh, an incomplete view. That is, the, what, what you've described is the individual income tax, which is true, is progressive. That is, the more you earn, uh, the higher uh, fraction of your income you, uh, you have to pay in taxes. But there are many other taxes beyond the individual income tax. They are payroll taxes, where you start paying from the first dollar of earnings. There are sales taxes and excise taxes that you pay uh, when you uh, buy stuff. And those tend to be regressive because folks at the bottom uh, save a smaller fraction of, of their income. So when you put all these together, you see that actually the U.S. tax system, including federal, state, and local government, looks like a giant flat tax where each income group pays more or less something close to the average of 28% across all income groups with the striking particularity that at the very top it becomes regressive. The very, very top 
earners in this country pay actually a smaller fraction of their income than the other income group. 23% we calculate for the top 400 people that you might think as the, the billionaires in the country. Now, this it wasn't always that way, correct? It's like, uh, you know, you say that the top 10%, top 10th of 1% of Americans saw their share of wealth triple since 1980. And then the folks at the bottom, who, the folks, I'm sorry, the folks at the top of the chain now control nearly as much wealth as the people at the bottom 90%. How did that happen? And, and when did that happen? So, yes, so we've documented an enormous increase in inequality in the United States starting around 1980. Uh, before 1980, in the post-World War II decades, economic growth was very widely uh, distributed, all income groups making gains at the same pace, and that changed dramatically around 1980. Since 1980, the striking thing is that incomes for the bottom 50% of Americans have essentially stagnated. Even though with economic growth, incomes have increased on average by 60%. Mm. And that means that income is, uh, 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 economic growth has been extremely skewed with very high growth rates at the top, mediocre numbers in, at, for the middle class, and virtually nothing for the bottom 50%. And on top of that, at the same time inequality was increasing so much, the tax system became a lot less progressive. It used to be the case that the rich were paying significantly more as a fraction of their income than the rest of us. Today, as I described earlier, it's the giant fact tax with some regressivity at the very top. So did this start with the Reagan tax cuts, Reagan era tax cuts? Yes, so we, we do think that uh, the break in 1980 is so strong and so apparent in the data that it is tightly linked with the uh, political development. That is, uh, when Reagan comes in, really the view of society changes. Reagan gets elected and says, the government is the problem. Uh, before it was viewed that contributing to uh, the, the government was, uh, was the right thing to do. We were a society, we were working together, everybody had to contribute. With Reagan, it's a totally different view. We are each individuals and our goal is to do the best on our own and the government is seen as an impediment. Paying taxes is like getting stolen by the uh, government and therefore the fair thing to do is to try and avoid taxes to pay as little as you can. So it's, it's a philosophical viewpoint that leads to these tax changes. Correct. It starts with philosophy, that is, what is the right or moral view, what is the right thing to do, and with Reagan it becomes right to try and avoid taxes. Reagan passes some legislation that makes that easier, in particular to have business losses that you can offset against your ordinary income, and then once tax avoidance festers, Reagan goes to Congress, Democratic Congress at that time, and says, look, it's impossible to tax the rich. We need to cut their tax rate. And they form a bipartisan uh, big tax reform that essentially lowers dramatically the top tax rate on the individual. This is 1986, the big, the big tax bill. Tell us some of the ways that wealthiest people hide their wealth. Yes. So why is it that the very top today pay so little 
indexes relative yeah. to other well, we were sort of a, a dubious milestone in 2018. 2018. Billionaires paid what? Paid 23% only uh, relative to their true economic income. So, a good, so the individual income tax doesn't work well at the very top of the distribution because if you are ultra wealthy, a billionaire, you typically don't have to report that much income on your individual income tax return unless you're selling your stocks, that is your business. So take the case of Warren Buffett. It's an interesting case because he's, he's, he's given us some of those uh, numbers. His wealth is 80 billion. And the true economic income is really his share of the profits of his business, Berkshire Hathaway, but those profits are corporate profits. They don't show up on his individual income tax return unless he sells some share. The business doesn't pay dividends. And he said, I'm, I live a frugal life. I don't need that much. So I only get a few millions of income every year when in reality, his true economic income is in the billions. Mm. So, so that's a striking uh, example. And then the second thing that's particular to 2018 after the Trump tax cut is that now the corporate income tax is much, much lower than it used to be. The Trump tax cut cuts federal corporate tax receipts by 40%. And therefore, the, the corporate tax that is paid by the ultra-wealthy through their businesses, like Berkshire Hathaway, it could be Amazon, Google, etc., it's lower, and that's why the tax rate on the... Before it was about 39%. It, it used to be 35%, 35%. And now it's come down to 21% after the Trump tax cut. So one thing you... Now, what can be done about this? In the book, you talk about creating a public protection bureau that would enforce the tax laws because there, you know, a lot of this, uh, the, the IRS, for example, the their ranks have been thin. There's not enough people to... Enforce the tax laws we have in the books. What would you? What are you proposing yes. so, to change this? So the, the the biggest message of our book is that uh, what is painted as tax competition, tax evasion, tax avoidance, uh, what is often painted as a ineluctable development of globalization, that view is actually wrong. That is, there are ways uh, we can tax the rich consistent with globalization if we want to, but we need to uh, set up a system that will uh, achieve that. And so then we go through uh, various examples for the corporate income tax, the individual income tax, and the, the wealth tax. And so just, just to give you uh, an example, currently corporations, if they have multinational uh, operations, can dodge a very large fraction of their tax duties by parking their profits in tax havens, low tax uh, jurisdictions. And they're going like uh, Apple going to Ireland or something exactly. like that. Apple going to Ireland where the tax rate they pay on their profits there is extremely small. And what's interesting is that what moves is really only the paper profits thanks to their tax accountants. It's not like they move their workers or their factories. Right, uh, that much. They say they move their mailing address there. Yes, their mailing address, and they structure their uh, finances in a way that it looks like a lot of their profits well, is there. We were promised with the Trump tax cuts that when the corporate tax rate would be lowered, all of that money that has been parked overseas 
would come back into the U.S. and be uh, quote unquote repatriated. Why has that not happened? So uh, the issue with tax competition, meaning lowering your tax rates so that you uh, attract corporate profits, can work well for a small country that can lower its tax rate to something close to zero and attract lot, lots of profits. It's never going to work for a very big country like the U.S. It's 21% is still a lot more uh, than the tax rates offered in tax, uh, in tax heaven. So there's just no way a large country like the United States, but big European countries, China, etc., can compete against uh, the small tax heaven. So in our view, the solution, given that we can't prevent companies from, part, from putting profits in there, is that we need to go after those uh, profits. Namely, for a U.S. multinational, if Apple puts a lot of profits in uh, Ireland and they pay only 5% of tax on that, the U.S. should collect the uh, unpaid taxes. That is, we should impose a minimum tax, let's say, of 25%, and if you pay only 5 the U.S. would collect the missing one. Mm. And how would they do that? How would they be able to do that? So, in reality, we already have all the information we need to do that because multinationals already have to report country by country how much profits they make and how many taxes they pay. And so it's just a matter of changing the law to say the U.S. is going to connect uh, those missing uh, taxes paid. You're listening to my conversation with Emmanuel Saez. We'll have more right after this short break. Let's talk a little bit about the wealth tax that you have proposed and, uh, in the book and, and also that uh, Senator Warren has picked up and, and Bernie Sanders has picked up. They're, 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 uh, their versions of it are slightly different, but they're pretty much the same. Warren would uh, have a, a wealth tax on Americans with fortunes over $50 million, 2% tax on people with uh, over $50 million, 3% tax on, on fortunes uh, with more than $1 billion, and uh, this would um, uh, hit approximately about 75,000 families yes. we're talking about. So we're not talking about a huge number of people, correct? And it would be over, it would raise 2.75 trillion over 10 year period. Why is it more fair to tax wealth instead of income? Yes, so, so that's we, what we discuss in our book given the fact that the individual income tax does not work very well for billionaires because they don't need to realize income, mm -hmm. then we have those issues with the corporate income tax that, that we've discussed. The wealth tax appears as the simplest, most direct tool to increase the tax progress, to restore tax progressivity in the US tax system. So we, we've run the numbers. Uh, if the Warren wealth tax were in place, instead of paying 23% relative to their income, the ultra wealthy, the top 400, would pay 46%. That is, it would double their tax rate measured relative to their true economic income. So the wealth tax very simply targets really the ultra wealthy, the top 75,000 families with a higher rate 
for billionaires, and it is a tax that, if it is well enforced, can dramatically and quickly increase uh, tax rates at the top. And uh, one of the criticisms of, of these taxes is that it is unconstitutional. What do? You, what, how do you respond to that? That it's that it's a, a, a it's a different type of taxation that's already out there. Yes. So, so the debate on whether the wealth tax is constitutional uh, or not is ongoing. Uh, people, low academics, have different views on that, which in the end means that uh, the nine Supreme Court justices will decide whatever they want right, right. Uh, on the issue. So, the advantage of the wealth tax is that it's very easy to present. All listeners can understand. Yes, a wealth tax above fifty million—that's clearly a tax. On the rich. Now, if such a wealth tax were uh, uh, judged to be uh, unconstitutional, there are backup ways of structuring a tax that looks like it and is presented as an income tax. So essentially, you could say that look, if you have wealth of uh, 1 billion, it generates really a return of 5%. So that would be uh, 50 million, and that would be counted as presumptive income on wealth, and there could be a tax on that that would so be you would, in other words, you would change it to you a 5% on your first billion? Yes, you, you, could, you could say, yes, it would be a tax on presumptive income derived from so wealth. Give us a, put that in layman's terms, what presumptive income is. So, presumptive income means uh, that wealth is deemed to generate uh, a return, say, of Five five percent. So if you own one billion in wealth, that means that you've generated effectively fifty million in income uh, per year. Okay. Now on healthcare, you also have a take on this on the healthcare divide, and of course this is another big divide in Democratic primary, uh, Democratic Party primary. Joe Biden said in a recent debate, he said either you're with Bernie or you're with Barack, and I translate that either you support Medicare for all which is a single-payer, government-run plan, which Bernie Sanders supports, or you, you prefer continuing Obamacare um, with the ability to buy into Medicare, um, which pretty much the rest of the field supports. Um, so tell us how this, what you're talking about, fits into, fits into this, because you say insurance premiums are a form of tax. So when you pay your, pay your private insurance, that's a form of tax. Tell us about how the healthcare yes. debate fits in with what so, you're talking about. So, what is very striking in the US relative to other advanced economies is that workers in this country, by and large, get their insurance through their employer with the health insurance uh, premium without any help from the government, meaning that the worker has to pay full price. And that's very expensive. So, even though it's organized, managed by the employer, effectively the worker has to foot the bill and the bill is on a per person basis. It's on average $13,000 per year for a single or family plan uh, on average. And that 13K is the same whether you are a secretary making 40,000 or an executive making a million. So it's a very unfair, it's not at all progressive. That's what happens when you delegate to the private sector the management of healthcare, and that's what we call a poll tax, meaning a, a, a payment, a cost, the same per person. Mm -hmm. And that form of financing is not sustainable. 
because it's not possible to tell the low-paid worker you have to foot the full bill. You know, 13k is huge relative to a, a modest, Absolutely. a modest salary. So if you say on the one end, like Barack Obama said, employers now you have to provide healthcare for everybody, and that's true for any employer with more than 50 full-time yes. employees. According to the Affordable Care Act. Yes, after the Affordable Care Act, then the employers find themselves in that tough situation of we have to lower wages so that uh, our workers don't cost us uh, too much. Right. So that so you'd be getting paid on that. So you'd be hit on that the one way or the other. Yes. Now you you know uh, that, that that the political argument about this is going to be this is socialism. We don't want to hear that in America. What uh, younger people, as you know, the surveys say, don't have as big a problem with socialism because <laughs> they've got so much student debt they they can't make uh, make it work. What what is your response with people to the political argument on this that this is this is socialism? We don't want that in America. Well, at a high level, if as a society we've decided that everybody should have health care, then we need to help people with relatively low incomes to help pay for it. It's too much to ask the low-paid worker to pay full price because healthcare is one of those goods, uh, one of those services for which there is no cheap alternative. When you need a doctor, you need a doctor, and doctors are you know, paid well, they are highly trained workers. There's no healthcare on the cheap. And currently in the US, we haven't confronted yet that critical question. And once we do, you'll realize that the only system that works is a system where low-income folks get help. That's what's done on the exchanges right now uh, with Obamacare, but it needs to be done as well for the ordinary workers who, who get healthcare through their employers. And uh, of the, the, going back to the wealth tax, one more thing I wanted to clarify is that there's probably about seven or so countries that have some form of wealth tax. Yes. About it. So on the on the wealth taxes, one important criticism we got is that hey, in Europe those wealth taxes existed and they've been abandoned. Yes. And what we point out in the book is that the European wealth taxes didn't work because uh, they weren't well designed. So just to give you two examples. In France, by moving from Paris to London, you could essentially extinguish your wealth tax because you're, in France you're taxed based on residence. In the US, in contrast, uh, the tax is based on citizenship. So even if you move abroad as a US person, you would still be liable for the wealth tax, making it impossible to uh, avoid that way by just moving abroad. The second thing is that in France, or in Europe in general, it was very easy to put your money in Swiss bank accounts, and Switzerland wasn't uh, required to cooperate with France. In contrast, here in the US, actually under Obama, we've passed legislation that requires all foreign institutions to tell the IRS if they have accounts for U.S. citizens under stiff penalties if they fail to do so, making it much harder, again, for U.S. people to hide money in offshore accounts. Um, I want to close up with uh, Tuesday, or is it Tuesday or Wednesday, I believe, next week, you uh, and uh, Professor Zuckerman are going to be the stars of the Tax the Rich conference in, uh, in San Francisco, and it's going to talk about how millionaires in San Francisco are, are supporting 
patriotic millionaires. Patriotic millionaires. It's a group that's been around for a while. Um, now, now, really, come on, these folks, these folks are outliers. They're, how many patriotic or quote unquote millionaires really want to pay more taxes? Do you, do you think that this is what's the what's the, the point of this conference? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the point of this of this conference is to show, yes, that millionaires have a variety of views, billionaires right. uh, as well, and uh, it's going to be a lively debate. But yes, it is true to emphasize that the rich, many of them, are going to resist the idea of increasing again uh, tax progressivity, perhaps. In conclusion, I should say that the US is the country that really pioneered progressive taxation. Yeah. It was a country with the highest tax rates on high incomes, high inheritances, and that disappeared with Reagan in the, in, in the, in the 1980s, but now is a moment where a number of candidates are really putting together really bold platform, and it's an exciting time. Maybe we'll see, uh, again, in the future, a second progressive tax revolution now, in America. I know you're an economist, but do you have any political advice? Because this will be, there's nothing that bothers Americans more than taking money out of their pocket. Um, what political advice would you have uh, going forward? Yes, I, I I'm not a, a political <laughs> professional in any means, but it was really striking to see how with the wealth tax, precisely, uh, that was for the first time a tax increase that could be presented as such because it was so clear that it was targeting a specific group, the wealthy, who've been doing so well relative to right. uh, the rest of the economy, and that polls extremely well, not only among Democrats, but even among Republicans. A majority uh, supports the idea of taxing the rich more through wealth tax. Professor Saez, thank you so much for, for being on the Talk Thank you very much, Joe. I'd like to thank you all for listening. I'd like to thank Emmanuel Saez for welcoming me into his office on UC Berkeley campus. I'd like to thank the King, King Kaufman, for producing today's podcast. And remember, whether you're a billionaire or you're checking under the couch cushions for change, it's all political. It's All Political as part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is our editor-in-chief. Our music, our theme music that we have is Cattle Call. That's written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. If you like this show, subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more great journalism like this, subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Garofoli. Thanks.